So if you remember, this season of Advent, we're going to try to take Advent on its own terms, not try to rush too far into Christmas and all the other things we've got to do, but instead try to see, well, why do we just spend these four weeks talking about all the stuff that we are right now? If you remember last week, we talked about that we almost have to put our gaze in two different places. One is, is that, of course, we are anticipating uh, that moment when Jesus will come to this earth the first time. We mark that moment, but we are anticipating the second coming when Christ will return. Have any of you ever heard of Lectio Divina? Good, I see some heads nodding. This isn't just one of those things that you kind of do in seminary to make you feel good as a pastor. No, these are, this is actually a helpful thing for many of us. For those of you who have never heard of Lectio Divina or you haven't done it, it is basically a slow reading of scriptural texts. Often you repeat it multiple times. And it's meant to be a moment to engage more than just the intellect. And when, when I read these texts in the morning or our liturgist reads the text in the morning, it very much feels like an intellectual exercise. You, uh, we speak them, you receive them. It all seems like a very straightforward practice. But Lectio and Vina, Divina invites us to do it differently. And often it's a time to engage the full body in the word, to sense the text. What are the sights and smells and tastes and sounds of Scripture? How do you live into it? You can almost take this further. You could take this as far as you want to. Try to notice the wrinkles on somebody's face. How many gray hairs does Jesus have at the beginning of his ministry and towards the end of his ministry? You feel the hot sun of the Judean countryside as you're watching fishes multiply and bread multiply. But again, it's no longer just an intellectual exercise, but it truly is a feeling that we insert ourselves. And it snaps us out of hearing the same texts and letting them simply be rolls of spiritual wallpaper adorning an otherwise empty space. Because sometimes if you hear these texts over and over and over again, they just slide to the exterior. And I think Advent can be a Lectio Divina for our entire life. Participation is demanded of us. Last week we heard, stay awake. Don't allow yourself to get lulled into a sense of stupor, but instead, things are happening, says Jesus. Stay awake. The willingness to stay awake, I think, is not only about performing a task, but it's also the act of observation. If we are awake, we are sensing. We smell things. We taste things, we see things when we are awake. So maybe instead of just going and staying awake and saying, well, I need to do and do and do and do, perhaps in this moment there's also something about an observation, a Lectio Divina of our spiritual lives. And this is especially important 
Because if we're not careful, we won't see that there might be a shift going on in the world. In the Gospel of Luke today, we get a veritable who's who on the people in the time right before Jesus begins his ministry. We hear about the Emperor Tiberius, a Roman billionaire, one of the greatest generals in all of Roman history. We hear about Pontius Pilate, the appointed governor of the area. We hear about Herod and Philip, the rulers of the area as vassals of Rome. And according to Josephus, who was an early Jewish historian, Caiaphas was appointed by Pontius Pilate after his father-in-law, Annas, was deposed. These are the people in power. You know, if you wanted to see, okay, who do I have to answer to in this area, Luke just gave it to you bit by bit by bit. And for Luke, who is the doctor, who is the meticulous gospel writer who writes Luke and Acts together, this is him doing what he does best and provides all of these details. But I also think it's important to notice the contrast at play here. Because the word of God today doesn't come to Emperor Tiberius not to Pontius Pilate or Herod or Philip or Caiaphas. doesn't even come to the ceremoniously appointed religious leaders, the folks who look like me in that era. No, it doesn't come to the ones who have already arrived. Instead, it comes to the one in the wilderness. Now, John strikes me as a character in a bad bro-buddy film. Right? He, he is like the comic relief to the gang that's going out and, you know, performing mischief. He wears camel hair clothing. He eats honey and locusts. He screams a lot. We'll see next week. He calls the people who are following him a brood of vipers, which is not really a great way to get people to stay in the pews. But that's his personality. This guy is the Zach Galifianakis of the Gospels. The two people that seem to get that. He just seems like a larger-than-life character. And John is proclaiming this idea of heralding, making as widely known as possible a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And repentance here is this word metanoia. It means a change of self that abandons former dispositions and results in a new self, new behavior, and regret over former behavior and dispositions. And it also means a formal release from an obligation or debt. This was a moment, John said, to completely reconsider your life. Again, the strangest looking dude coming out of nowhere, screaming at the top of his lungs. Now is the time, friends. Now, John is saying, is the time to take a solid look at the wallpaper that adorns your spiritual life and start to bring all of it to the center. It is time to reshape the room. You need to figure out what sparks your joy and get rid of the rest. 
believe I have inhaled enough plaster in this area for a lifetime. Friends, the wilderness throughout all of Scripture is a place of vulnerability. It's a place of danger, of a need to have all of one's senses peaked and not dulled by the droning of familiarity. Any of you who have taken a hike for an extended period of time know that the second you stop paying attention is, star- is the moment your ankle is going to turn over on some route that you just didn't happen to notice. The moment that you start wandering in the clouds is the moment you accidentally step on a snake. When you're in the wilderness, you gotta stay awake. The wilderness is where we have active observation and understanding. And you know what? It's often exactly the place where God's people learn to depend and meet God. People of Israel wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, being led by smoke and fire and cared for through manna. Jesus begins his ministry after a wandering in the wilderness. There is something special about a place where you have to pay attention and be vulnerable. If we stay awake and if we depend on God in the wilderness, we're going to start to see places where valleys are being raised and mountains are lowering. If we've dulled ourselves in this wilderness and attempted to make ourselves invulnerable, any shifts to the topography, I think, will be made worse. If we think it's not time to pay attention, We're going to be in trouble. It's almost like trying to drive with a poster on the windshield. I mean, it looks great when you're looking at it. But the second you try to put any motion, you're going to crash. Listen, none of you would say to yourselves, you know how I really like to drive? With a poster of the beach right in front of me. I would not get in the car with you. And our New Testament passage also demonstrates how far folks at times can go to keep their stupor. Paul has been proclaiming for a long time now when we meet him in Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and not to those put in power but Jesus Christ the Lord. And that kind of talk put Paul in prison on the way to death. But the hope that he had for his beloved congregation in Philippi, which he will never see again, is that by continuing to stay awake and pay attention in the wilderness to what God is doing, that they will grow closer to God and grow closer to each other, not to get themselves lulled into a sense of static being. Friends, the good news of the gospel will not be easily heard by those desperately trying to keep their mountains high like a child maintaining a sandcastle amidst a rising tide. The gospel has to come from the margins, from the places in the wilderness, from places of vulnerability. 
It comes from those that we'd rather not hear from. From the camel hair wearing, locust and honey eating, constantly yelling, being angry all the time, prophets saying, get your act together, God is coming. And just as the sands begin to level themselves as the tide crests upon the sand castles, so will the good news of justice provide abundance for those who do not have enough. As much as we may try to build our castles, they will always be knocked down. So what is it like, then, to Lectio Divina, that kind of justice. It did not have it just be an intellectual exercise that we talk about on a Sunday in Advent because we're talking about apocalyptic things happening so we can get to baby Jesus. What would it be like to stop, taste, and smell, and hear this kind of justice? What would it be like to close your eyes for a moment and see all of the homeless folks who find themselves on the side of the road all over Jacksonville having a safe place to call home. What would it be like to put a hammer into the beam that made sure the last homeless person in Jacksonville was safe? What would it be like, dear friends, to have a Lectio Divina moment the last time somebody in Jacksonville, Florida, was hungry because you helped make them full? What would, be, what would it be like if you were sitting down at the TV to listen to Channel 4 and the breaking news is that no one in Jacksonville, Florida is below the poverty line, that everybody has enough. What would it be like if we also found out that all those who had so many resources to hold can no longer keep their storehouses closed, and the reason why everybody's safe is because everybody who had abundance just gave it away said, I've got enough. What would it be like for every single person that has had contact with South Jacksonville Presbyterian Church and at some point was told that they do not belong here, were able to come and sit in these pews and feel like they belonged, and not on the edges, but right in the center? To have the best seat at the banquet. What would it be like, friends, if in taking Advent on its own terms, we tasted and smelled and heard and witnessed justice all over? I think it sounded like joy. I think it would taste like comfort. And it would sound like hope. Friends, things are changing. That's what Advent reminds us of, that somebody is coming and will come again to make the crooked paths straight, the rough paths smooth, 
that there will not be those who will hoard so much while there are too many who have not enough. And the choice we have, dear friends, is to sit in our cars with our postered windshields hoping we don't crash. Or to experience and taste and see all that there is. Thanks be to God.